Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35 is where we are at for our scripture reading. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, get rid of your foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I will build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Then they gave Jacob all their foreign gods and their earrings, and Jacob hid them under the oak near Shechem. When they set out, a terror from God came over the cities around them, and they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So Jacob and all who were with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. Jacob built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God had revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Deborah, the one who had nursed and raised Rebekah, died and was buried under the oak south of Bethel, so Jacob named it. Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again after he returned from Padan Aram and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be named Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. I will give the land to your future descendants. Then God withdrew from him at the place where he had spoken to him. I'm going to hit the pause button right there and uh, just remind you, that when we think about the covenants that God makes to Israel, here is God's covenant. He is reinstating the Abrahamic covenant and the land covenant to Jacob right here. So if you take notes in your Bible, this is a good place to put Abrahamic covenant, land covenant right here in chapter 35, verses 9 through 13. Now we're on verse 14. Jacob set up a marker at that place where he had spoken to him, a stone marker. He poured a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. They set out from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrah, uh, Rachel gave birth and her labor was difficult. During her difficult labor, the midwife said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have another son. With her last breath, for she was dying, she named him Ben-Oni, 
but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a marker on her grave. It is the marker that uh, Rachel's grave, uh, that marks Rachel's grave still today. Israel set out again and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Ender. While Israel was living in that region, Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah. And Israel heard about it. Jacob had 12 sons. Leah's sons were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Rachel's sons were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's slave Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's slave Zilpah were Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had stayed. Isaac lived 180 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Uh, I think instead of reading on through chapter 36, we'll just stop right there with our scripture reading ending at the end of chapter 35, Genesis chapter 35. Now, you have your Bibles open there, so go ahead and head to Daniel chapter 9. Go ahead and go to Daniel chapter 9. And um, I want you to take out your sermon notes. It's a full sheet of paper today. It's a full sheet of paper because, not that there's so many notes on it, but on the back side of your notes, there's a little chart, and we're going to look at that chart here in a little bit, but I just want you to be aware of it. So when I say look at your chart, that's what I want you to turn over and look at, okay? So just have that handy and be aware that chart's on the back of your notes. Uh, last week, we studied verse 24. And we saw three key aspects for understanding this prophecy. We saw the aspect of time, 70 weeks or 490 years. We saw the focus. That would be on Daniel's people and on his holy city. That's the Jews and Jerusalem. And then we saw the purposes. There are six purposes that are mentioned here in verse 24 all of which will be accomplished by the end of the 490 years. And really, when we take all six of these purposes together, they act as a climax towards the end of this 490 years. Their accomplishment is the high point, is the high point of this particular time that we see mentioned here. Now, this is what I want you to look at your chart. So go ahead and get out your chart because we're going to talk about some times, okay? So I've tried to lay out to you the 70 weeks of Daniel here in this chart. 
And you'll notice in the middle of that page, there's a dark bar. And in the middle of that bar, it says 70 weeks, 490 years. We find this in verse 24. So hopefully everybody's looking at the middle of your chart and you can find that. Now let me point out to you that that dark bar is split in two parts. So you see that? You got one big part, then there's a break, and then there's a smaller part. Well, that's reflecting all of the 490 years, but that gap in there, that break in there, reflects a break in time. Okay, the 490 years are not all consecutive. And what we're going to learn is that that little short piece of the bar on the right-hand side of your paper reflects a seven-year period. A seven-year period. So as we consider our passage, and again, we're looking at the passage as a whole at this point, but you'll notice in the upper left box on your chart there, it says, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So that's in verse 25. We're going to take a long look at those words this morning. But notice that's pointing to the beginning of the 490 years. You see how that goes to the beginning? Then it says in the next box to the right, then it says until Messiah the Prince. It's also in verse 25. When Messiah the Prince is present, that ends the first 69 weeks, or the first 483 years, okay, of, of the 490 years. So you following me now? There's 490 years all together. There's a break. There's a break between the 69th week and the 70th week. There's a break between the first uh, 483 years and the last seven-year period. That's the break you see in that dark bar. The beginning of that 490-year period is this command that comes out about rebuilding Jerusalem. The end of the 483-year period, the first 69 weeks, is until Messiah, the prince. That ends it. Then you'll notice in the next box to the right in your chart there, so this is the, on the right-hand side, the top box, it says, after 62 weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So it's after the 69 weeks altogether. He mentions 62 here, but that's because he's reading 62 comes after the first seven weeks. But after the first 69 weeks altogether, the Messiah will be cut off. It's talking about the death of the Messiah. And then it talks about the destruction of the city and the sanctuary. So the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Those events take place in the gap. In the gap that you see there on your chart. Then if you drop straight down from that box, go all the way down almost to the bottom of your page, you'll see a box that says verse 27 a in it. That's our next box that we're going to look at. It says, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay, now we see that dark, little dark bar on the right-hand side, and you look right below it, and it tells us that little dark bar represents one week or seven years. Okay, and there's going to be a covenant made, a treaty made for that seven-year period. 
And then if you look all the way at the bottom of your page, in that last box in the bottom right corner, you you see it says, but in the middle of the week. Okay, what's the middle of seven? 3.5 or three and a half. And so you see there, if you follow the arrow, half a week is three and a half years. So this isn't a perfect chart, but um, hopefully if you look at this chart, you can make some sense of the times and events that are going to occur in our passage that we're studying. You got 490 years. This 490 years is divided into sections. You got 49 years to start with. And then you have 432 years that follow immediately after the first 49. Then there's a break in time, an undetermined amount of time between the last week, the last year in the first part, and the last seven years that are to come. There's that break there. We don't know how long that break is. We are living in that break. We're living in that break right now and we don't know how long it's last it will last so far it's lasted for about 2000 years okay but we don't know how much longer that break will last but whenever that break is over we see that there will be seven more years related to the history of Israel to God's prophetic plan for Israel seven more years and he's going to accomplish Everything mentioned in verse 24 and those seven years. Okay, so that kind of gives you a big picture there of what's happening. So um, you can do whatever you want with that chart. You can stick it in your Bible, stick it in a folder, throw it in the trash, whatever you, but it sets a, it sets a stage for us. And, and as we go through this and we learn more about what's happening, Um, I'll try to add a a little bit more detail to this chart. So it it would be careful that if you wanted to trash it, that you don't trash it right away. Okay, Uh, keep it in your Bible and we'll come back and we can refer to this over and over again. Well, having gone over these times and having read in our Bibles things like 70 weeks, Seven weeks, 62 weeks, middle of a week, a week. We might wonder, Lord, why didn't you just write it January 22nd, 2023? How come you just didn't do it that way? And of course, we know the answer to that, don't we? The answer is God didn't reveal this. In 2023, he revealed this to Daniel in the 6th century. And the way that Daniel is writing in the 6th century B.C. is how we would write January 22nd, 2023 uh, today. Because we know that the Bible was written in a different language at a different time in a different culture. And so when we're interpreting the Bible, when we're studying the Bible... One of the things that we have to do is take into account that it was written in a different language. Language that we don't speak today, that here we don't speak today. It was written at a different time. Time we have never lived in. 
And it's written in a different culture, a culture that is not our own. So we have to take this into account when we're studying the Bible. So let me remind you of some things that we need to consider this morning. If you look back to Daniel chapter, uh, well, we're in Daniel chapter 9. Look back to verse 1. Just a quick review. Back to verse 1. Daniel receives this prophecy in the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes. In other words, Daniel receives this prophecy in 539, 538 B.C., something like that, 2,562 years ago. Okay, that's when Daniel received this prophecy. It's a long time ago, isn't it? Over two millennia ago, two and a half millennia ago. And what we have seen in the first part of this chapter is that Daniel is studying his Bible. He's studying his Bible, and he's specifically studying the prophet Jeremiah, what Jeremiah the prophet wrote. And Jeremiah is what we might call Daniel's elder contemporary. Um, the life's the lives and ministry of Daniel and Jeremiah overlap, but Jeremiah is older. His ministry was, he, part of his ministry was before Daniel was even born. But they overlap a little bit. Daniel would have known about Jeremiah, would have known about his prophecies. Undoubtedly, the talk of Jeremiah's prophecies would have hit Daniel's ears as a little boy when he was in Judah before he was taken into captivity. So Daniel is reading from the book of Jeremiah, and he is specifically reading between chapters 25 and 29 in the book of Jeremiah. He's reading that section of the book of Jeremiah, and I think we can make a very strong case that he's reading in particular Jeremiah 29. I won't make that case this morning, but uh, you can read the chapter, and you can read what's happening in the book of Daniel, and you see how they line up. But he's reading, he's reading between Jeremiah 25 and 29, and those two chapters, we know those two chapters were written between 597 B.C. and 605 B.C. We know they were written at that time. So let me prove this to you. I want to prove this to you. Turn back to Jeremiah 25, verse 1. Make sure you keep your finger in Daniel, but turn back to Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. We there? All right. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. Notice what it says. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah... In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now we know Nebuchadnezzar, his first year was 605 B.C. 605 B.C. That means the fourth year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, the son of Josiah, his fourth year is 605 B.C. So Daniel was probably reading Jeremiah 25, and Jeremiah 25 
was written in the year Daniel was taken into captivity. Daniel's an old guy now, but this prophecy was written the year he was taken into captivity. Now turn over a couple pages and look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. Verse 2 is our focus. Let me start in verse 1 so we have a little context. Now these are the words of the letter. So this is talking about a letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, isn't that interesting? Who was carried away captive? Daniel. So here's a letter that uh, might not have Daniel's name on it, but it's like to the captives in Babylon. And Daniel was a part of that group. Now look at verse 2. This happened, that is, this letter was sent. This happened after Jeconiah, that's Jehoiachin by another name, Jeconiah the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. Now, from what we know about uh, the children of Israel and their captivity. This is in 597 B.C. 597 B.C. is when Jehoiachin or Jeconiah and the rest of the nobility were taken into captivity to Babylon. So this tells us, we know from the description of the Bible here, that the passages that Daniel would have been reading occurred... Um, between 58 and 66 years before he reads them in Daniel chapter 9. Think about that. Jeremiah wrote, and he wrote, we'll just say 60 years, use a nice round number. He wrote about 60 years earlier, and then in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's reading what Jeremiah wrote about 60 years later. About 60 years later. Now, I think this is very interesting because it shows us that almost from the very instant that Jeremiah wrote these words, these words were recognized as Scripture. You see that? Daniel recognized what Jeremiah wrote as Scripture. And 60 years is not that long. In the big scheme of things, 60 years is not that long. Um, those of you who are over 60, you would agree with that. Those of you who are under 60, you might not agree with that so much. You might think, well, that's a long time. But really, in the big scheme of things, it's not that long. And so Daniel sees Jeremiah's writing, and he knows, and he knows this is what the Lord has said about the desolations, the 70 years of desolations of Jerusalem. And, excuse me, and because of Jeremiah's writings, Daniel knows that these 70 years are about to come to an end. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. He knows these 70 years that have been determined for desolations on Jerusalem 
are about to end. And, and when Daniel realizes this, what does he do? What does he do? He prepares. He prepares for the end of these desolations. How does he prepare? He prepares by praying, specifically by confessing the sins of the nation of Israel and his own personal sins to God. I think it's very interesting, a lesson we can learn from Daniel in his prayer that we see in the first part of chapter 9, is Daniel didn't say, I've read my, I've read my Bible, let me go check with the priest, let me go check with the pastor to make sure I understand what my Bible says. No, you can read your Bible and understand just like Daniel did. When Daniel started to pray, he didn't say, where's the priest? Where's the pastor? I need to go confess to them. No, Daniel went right to God. He could and he did, went right to the Lord to confess his sins. We can do that today as well. We don't need a priest. You don't need to confess to a pastor. You need to confess to God. And so Daniel is preparing for the end of the 70 weeks of desolations that have been determined for Jerusalem, that God had determined for Jerusalem. And so you can imagine the kind of joy and relief Daniel would have. The 70 years of exile are coming to an end. We will be able to return to Judah very soon. We will be able to go back to Jerusalem very soon. So you can, you can almost feel it. And then you come to verse 24 of chapter 9, and God says to Daniel, there's going to be 490 years more before God accomplishes all of his plans for the nation of Israel. And so God says there's going to be 490 years, and then God says, here's the timetable, and here's the events that are going to happen. Here's the big picture. Here's the major events, and here's the times in which they happen. And that's what we're going to look at or begin to look at here in verse 25. We're studying the times and the events of Daniel's 70 weeks. That's the introduction. Here's point one. So you should be glad this morning. If you look at your notes, there's only really one point we're going to get to. Okay, Roman numeral number one. That's well, first, first point, point one, only point for today. All right? And that's just going to be the first part of verse 25. Look at what it says. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So here is the starting point, the starting point for the 70 weeks, for the 490 years that God has determined to fulfill his plans and purposes for the nation of Israel. And notice, it says, know and understand. Know and understand. Daniel's being told something that he's supposed to know and he is supposed to understand. He's supposed to get it. He's supposed to be able to make sense about what he's going to hear in this prophecy. And it says, 
from the going forth of the command. So there's a command involved in here to restore and build Jerusalem. That's what the command is about. That's what the command is about. So Daniel's supposed to get this. He's supposed to know. He's supposed to understand. We're supposed to know. We're supposed to understand. And he's given, he's told there's going to be a command. Going to be this command. And this command, as its subject, has in view to restore and build Jerusalem. So I want to talk about this command here. I want to talk about this command. The first thing I want to address is the importance of identifying this command. The importance of identifying this command. Let me give you three reasons why this is important. Three reasons why it's important to identify this specific command that is mentioned here. Number one, it gives us a starting point. It tells us the starting point for God's 490 years that he has determined for the people of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. This is when, this command is when God's prophetic clock for the 490 years starts. So it gives us a starting point. So we need to make sure we identify the command so we know the starting point. Secondly, this also provides us a fixed point. A fixed point. The fixed point here gives us a place by which we can judge all other times and all other prophecies that are mentioned not only in this passage, but in any other passage in the Bible that mentions the events that are mentioned here in Daniel 9. Okay, If we understand this command, we understand this is the fixed point by which we determine when all these other things will happen, when they will occur. So Daniel 9.25 is a major, major phrase in understanding God's prophetic timeline, not just for Israel, but for all of history, including the Gentiles, including our history. Number three, it's important to identify this command because it provides us understanding for what is fulfilled prophecy and what is yet to be fulfilled prophecy. By knowing when this command is issued, by understanding the times, we know, well, we're not supposed to look forward to that anymore. We're supposed to look forward to this. This has been fulfilled. This is still in the future. God has accomplished this. This is yet to be accomplished. So it tells us where we fit, where we fit in God's prophetic timeline. So there's the importance of identifying this command. Secondly, we also need to consider the necessary aspects. This is point B there in your notes. The necessary aspects for identifying this command. I have three necessary aspects that we have to take into account if we are to properly identify the command that is mentioned here in Daniel 9.25. Number one, we have to recognize that this command is an authoritative word. It has authority, and it comes from authority. So this command has to be a, a, a word, a message that has authority. It tells somebody what to do, tells that somebody can do something, and it comes from an authority. So that's what we're looking for. Okay, secondly... 
we need to focus on the issuing of the command. This talks about from the going forth of the command. That's the issuing of the command. So we're not, we're not interested in when the command is executed. We're interested in when the command is given. When it's given. So it's necessary to keep that in mind. Thirdly, and probably most importantly, it is most importantly, not probably, it is most importantly, this command must deal with the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Okay, So it's got to be an authoritative command. It's a command with authority. It comes from authority. It has to be a, a command that is issued. We're interested in the giving of the command. And it has to be a command that includes the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So in point C there in your notes, I give you the options. These are the options that scholars and Bible students over the years have determined as to what command is being referred to here in Daniel chapter 9. So the first command is by Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, in 537 BC. We see this command in Ezra chapter 1 and Ezra chapter 6. The second command is from Artaxerxes in his seventh year, and that's 458 BC, and that's found in Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7. And finally, the last command is also from Artaxerxes, but this time in his 19th or 20th year, and it occurs in 444 BC, and this is re recorded in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Now, I want to look at these commands, so let's turn in our Bible to Ezra chapter 1. Let's turn back to Ezra chapter 1. Got to go all the way back before Psalms. You got to go way back before Proverbs. After 2 Chronicles, you're going to find Ezra. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra. Nehemiah, Esther, Job. We're looking at Ezra. Ezra chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. 2 through 4, and then we're going to think about it. All right? Ezra chapter 1, verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. He has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of that place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Now, is this command from authority with authority? The answer is yes. It comes from Cyrus the king, as Cyrus the Great. Cyrus is the one who God appoints as the ruler over the kingdom of men. Okay, we've already studied this in the book of Daniel. So it comes with authority and from authority. It is a command. In fact, the technical word for command is used here. But notice, if you noticed as we read through these verses, nowhere does it mention 
the building of the city of Jerusalem. It mentions the house of God. It mentions the temple. Look at verse 2. And he, that's the Lord God of heaven, has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Verse 3. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. So this command is about building the temple. It only mentions Jerusalem in reference to the location of the temple. Nothing is said. Nothing is said about the rebuilding of the city. And you might say, well, of course, the city has to be rebuilt along with the temple. Well, you're assuming something there. That's not what the passage says. The passage says it's talking about the temple, rebuilding the temple, which is at Jerusalem. Okay, let's turn over to chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6. Okay, Ezra chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Ezra 6, verses 3 through 5. This is in reference to the same command. Ezra chapter 6, verse 3. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it firmly, be firmly laid. Its height, 60 cubits, its width, 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury, also let the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple, which is in Jerusalem, be brought uh, to Babylon, be restored and taken back to the temple, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place and deposit them in the house of God. Again, we see this command is with authority and from authority. Again, Cyrus the Great issues it. This is actually a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's a command. But we also see that the command is about the temple, rebuilding the temple. It's not about rebuilding the city. So when we look at Ezra chapter 1 and Ezra chapter 6, and this command that Cyrus gives in 537 B.C., even though it's from authority with authority, even though it is a command, not a suggestion, not recounting history, not requesting anything, it's a command, we still see that these, this command does not include the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And so just based on the biblical data, forget about the history, forget about the sequence of historical events that we could look at. If we just go with the biblical data, we see this command in Ezra 1 and Ezra 6 fails to match uh, Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 because it does not mention the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So this command that Daniel mentions does not refer back to Cyrus's command in 537. 537 is not the beginning of Daniel's 70 weeks. It's not the beginning of the 490 years that God has determined to fulfill his plan for the nation of Israel. 
Now let's evaluate the second option here, and this is the decree of Artaxerxes in his seventh year in 458 BC. So this is in Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 through 26. Verses 11 through 26, this is a little bit longer passage, okay? But I want to read it, I want to read to you the whole thing so you can hear and ask yourselves the question, is this a command with authority from authority? Is this a command and not a request, not a description? You know, it's none of that. It's a command. It's telling people to do something. And does it mention the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem? So let me read. You follow along. Ezra chapter 7, verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest, the scribe, expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra, the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. <laughs> I think that, do you see that? I think that's really, a, the perfect peace and etc. 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 all the flowery language, right? Verse 13, I issue a decree that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer to go to Jerusalem may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God which is in your hand, and whereas you are to carry the silver and the gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, those dwell, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in all the province of Babylon, all, uh, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold, do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay for it from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribed limit. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be any wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also, we inform you that it shall not be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom on any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethilim, and the ser or the servants of this who may judge all the people, or, or the servants of this house of God. Verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river. 
all such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. So, is this a command with authority from authority? Absolutely. Artaxerxes is the king. He's got the authority. And he's telling people what to do. It's a command. The technical word for decree is used throughout this particular passage. However, does it mention building the city of Jerusalem? Not at all. Not at all. It mentions the house of God, provision for the house of God, money for building the house of God, the temple, but it doesn't mention the city. And so there's uh, quite a few scholars who think this is the correct date, but the, but the real glaring problem is no mention of the city to be rebuilt. There's no command to rebuild Jerusalem. And again, we might assume, hey, they would have naturally rebuilt the city. Okay, maybe they naturally would have started to rebuild the city, but that's not part of the command. We're not interested and what might have happened. We are interested in what Daniel says that this command has to be about restoring and building Jerusalem. And, and the command we just looked at in 458 BC just doesn't add up to the biblical data. Let's look at the last one. I think this is the correct one. So turn over to Nehemiah. So you just go a little to the right in your Bible. And Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Verse 5. <clears throat> and I said to the king, so that's Nehemiah, I, Nehemiah, said to the king, that's Artaxerxes, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, so that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting by his side, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the land beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And, the letter, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. The king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now, one of the interesting things that we see in this passage is it doesn't say this is the decree of the king. It doesn't say King Artaxerxes issues a command. But in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25... When it says the word command in that passage, 
That word command is not a technical word for a command. In fact, the word command in Daniel chapter 9, why don't you just hold your finger here if you want to in Nehemiah, but turn back to Daniel chapter 9 so you can see this. In Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 when it says, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command. That word command is the Hebrew word debar. That is the general word for communication in Hebrew. Now it can be used for a command, but it's the general word for communication. My point to you is that you don't have to have a technical word for command here according to Daniel chapter 9. So this is not a problem when we think of Nehemiah chapter 2, even though there's no specific word for a command. However, however, I want you to note that in verse 5, verse 5, that Nehemiah asked that Artaxerxes the king, he asked that he would send him. He would send him. So he doesn't ask permission to go. He asks Artaxerxes for a mission to go to Jerusalem to rebuild it. So, so there's a difference. Do you, do you understand the difference between permission and a mission? Permission just says, okay, Nehemiah, you can go. I'm giving you, you know, three years of vacation to go ahead and take care of this. You can go. You don't have any responsibilities here. That's permission. The mission to go is Artaxerxes saying to, to Nehemiah, I'm sending you, go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. That mission is a command. That is a command. That is a decree for Nehemiah to go. And, and so he not only grants the request and sends Nehemiah to Jerusalem. It, by the way, it says two times that, he, that Artaxerxes sends Nehemiah here. He also gives him letters. And these letters that Nehemiah is carrying tell everybody, don't mess with me, do whatever I need to do to, to carry out my mission from Artaxerxes the king. So this statement here we have in Nehemiah chapter 2, it's from authority, it's from Artaxerxes, it comes with his authority. It is a command, it's not a request, it's not a re recounting history, it's a command, but most importantly, it's about rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. It specifically says that Nehemiah's purpose for returning to Jerusalem is to rebuild the city. Look at the end of verse 5. I ask that you send me to Judah. Okay, that's the area. To the city of my father's tombs. That is Jerusalem. Why is he asking to be sent there? so that I may rebuild it, the city. He's asking specifically to go rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes says, yes, I'm sending you to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So how does this relate to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25? Daniel chapter 9, verse uh, 25 says, Know therefore and understand, from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. That is going to be in 444 B.C. Some people 
want, they can point down the very day. I'm not worried about trying to calculate the very day of this command. But I want you to see that Daniel receives from the Lord in this prophecy, he receives the very year when the 490 years begins. God is essentially telling Daniel this 490 year time period in which I am going to accomplish all my plan for the children of Israel, it begins in 444 BC. Now, since we know that year, since we know the year, now it, all these other dates and all the other events that we're going to read about here in the next coming weeks will make sense. We will see how they are in history and have happened, or we will see how they haven't happened yet. But since we know the beginning, we have the starting point, we have the fixed point, and we have a point by which we can judge all other prophecy, now we have a way to understand, well, what's seven weeks and 62 weeks? How do we understand that? We know it now. We, got a place, we have a place to start. So just keep all of that in mind. So let me, let me wrap things up here. When we, when we see passages, verses, parts of verses like this in our Bible, we need to understand that God, our God, is a God of order and precision. A God of order and precision. So um, God's very precise with his word. The men's fellowship, uh, when, so yesterday when the men met one of the things we do when we meet is we have a, a little devotional and uh, the devotional that we looked at this week as we were we're going through the sermon on the mount okay so we're going through the sermon on the mount and uh, we were in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew the gospel of Matthew around 17 verse 17 through 19 verse 17 through 19 give us Christ's relationship to the law. What he says, his relationship is to the law. I have not come to abolish the law, but fulfill. And it says, the Lord says, not one jot or tittle will pass away. Even though heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will be, uh, will fail until all is accomplished. Okay, I'm paraphrasing that a little bit. And uh, it dawned on me that we, as a part of our belief and understanding of the Bible, we believe that all the Bible and every word of the Bible comes from God, is inspired by God. The fancy phrase for that is we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Okay? You don't need to remember that. You just need to remember... All the Bible, the entire Bible, every word of the Bible has been given by God, has come from God to us, to man. Okay. Jesus is more extreme than that. Jesus is more narrow than that when he says, not one letter, jot, jot's a letter, not one letter, and not even the smallest 
distinguishing part of the letter will fail until all is accomplished. Jesus is essentially saying the letters and even the small distinguishing marks of a Hebrew letter are inspired, are important. Well, that's way more narrow than we are. We just say the words. Jesus goes to the letters and even parts of the letters. God is a God of precision. And when we read his word, when we read his word, we need to read it precisely. We need to read it carefully. Have you ever read your Bible? And you read it kind of in a, I won't say a flippant way, but let's just say you weren't paying a whole lot of attention. But you were reading it. And you read something that wasn't actually in there. You skipped a word. Or you kind of stumbled over a word. Or maybe you added a word because you thought it. Anybody do that? You probably hear me do it all the time when I'm doing the scripture reading up here. Sometimes it's just hard not to do. But we need to take our time and be careful when we're reading. Because things like what we saw this morning. With this command that is mentioned in Daniel chapter 9 verse 25. Knowing that we're talking about a command. Knowing that this is an authoritative message. Knowing that we're not talking about a request, we're not talking about a question, we're talking about something that is telling people what to do. Something's going to happen. And precisely that it's talking about the restoration and building of Jerusalem. That is important to understand even the small parts of that. And so we need to study the Bible precisely. And that's what we do when we come here on Sunday morning. We're studying the Bible. And we have no excuse for not studying the Bible. Think about this. When Daniel read the book of Jeremiah, he understood the 70 years of the desolations for Jer Jerusalem were accomplished. How old was he? He was in his mid-80s. His mid-80s, Daniel studying the Bible in his mid-80s, and he's studying it in detail. We have no excuse for not being students of the Bible. So as we look at these passages, just I want to remind us, God is a God of precision. He's a God of detail, and he is a God that has revealed his will and his plan. And here in our passage in Daniel, he has revealed there are going to be 490 years. And then God will accomplish his plan for the nation of Israel. It says it right there. We need to believe it. Why don't you stand with me and we're going to close in prayer. And uh, as you're standing and we're concluding, uh, let me just say right now my watch says 10 50, well, it just turned 10.59. So at 11.15, 11.15, we're going to be right back here for our meeting, okay? The annual meeting is going to start at 11.15. That gives you 15 minutes, if I stop talking, that gives you 15 minutes for fellowship time, okay? And don't fight over the honey buns or coffee cake or what's, what's over out there. I don't, want, I don't want to see anybody getting elbowed. All right, so let me pray, and um, uh, then we'll have our fellowship time, 11.15, right back here. Lord, we give you thanks for your word and how precise you are with it. Help us to 
uh, recognize your position and, and motivate us to study your word 